Well, good morning and welcome to Cornwall Church, whether here in Bellingham, in Skagit, or you're joining us online. We are glad that we are here together, whether literally or technologically or something. Um, it is a beautiful morning, and uh, I can't tell you what an honor it is for me to be here and to get to share with you out of Romans chapter 5. Um, let me just jump in. Uh, this week, or excuse me, like as I was preparing for today, over the last month, I, what I do when I get a Bible, uh, a passage that I want to learn about, a chapter that I want to learn about, I read through it multiple times. And then I switch translations, and I read through it multiple times in a different translation, and then a third translation. And the reason why is I want to get a holistic understanding, a well-rounded understanding about what the author is trying to say. So if you're curious, the translations that I use are the NIV, the NASB, and the NLT. And I feel like that gives me a pretty well-rounded understanding of what the author is trying to say. And as I prepared for the sermon this weekend, there was something that caught my attention. Really a lot of some things, if I'm being totally honest. Um, but one thing in particular was one word that, was, that, that reoccurred again and again and again and again. And what we know, when authors do that, usually they're basically like waving a flag saying, don't miss this, don't read past it, catch this, this is pivotal. Now, the interesting thing is it's not a theological word. It's not grace. It's not love. It's not righteousness. It's not even justification. All of those words are in this passage, but the word is through. The word is through. It shows up 17 times in 21 verses. That's a lot. It's not only pointing us to what we have through Christ, but that is the primary purpose of it. It occurs 17 times in alternate Meaning of the word through is because of, because of. And for me, maybe this isn't a game changer for you, but for me, it was, it was. Now, I want to start in Romans, the end of Romans 4, verse 25, and we'll go straight into verse, or excuse me, chapter 5, verse 1. But you can kind of get a glimpse of because of. So every time we read, read the word through, you can replace it with because of. Okay, so Romans 4.25, because he was delivered over to death for our sins, he being Jesus, and was raised to life for our justification. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, what we see in this passage is that we are justified through Jesus, because of Jesus, by faith. We are justified through Jesus, because of Jesus, by our faith. The question then is, what does justification mean? And in your notes, to legally release or free from debt. To legally release or free from debt. Can you imagine how great this would be if, if you own a home or, or you have a, a loan on a car or maybe you're working on debt to a credit card company and they came to you and they were like, it's all good. You're legally freed from it. Whatever it is, it's yours. And you're going, Yahtzee! Yes! Fist pump. Excitement. <laughs> I'd be excited. Apparently you wouldn't be, but that's okay. That's all right. Well, now imagine if, it, if you had like a life sentence in prison and you're justified. So this is saying that we are justified through or because of Jesus. But what debt do we need to be freed from? And he also highlights this in this verse. He, he points out that it's uh, he, being Jesus, was delivered over to death for our sins. 
for our sins. We need to be justified, freed from the, the debt of our sins. Romans 3.23 says, Every human being, apart from Jesus Christ, is guilty of sin. It's a bummer, but it's true. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Nothing we can do about that. It is separation from God, both in this life and eternally. That is the reality. And we need to be rescued. We need to be freed from. We need to be justified from that truth. Now, there is something that there's one thing that I want you to get. I'm going to repeat it a lot because I'm hoping as I say it a lot, it gets stuck right there for you. This is the one thing. It is only, it is only through Christ that we can be justified. Only, singularly, nothing else, no one else can justify us except Jesus Christ. It is only through, it's only because of Jesus Christ that we can be justified. This last week I was in Encounter, the high school group here at Cornwall Church, and Sam was leading us in worship, and he played a, a classic hymn, Come Thou Fount. And in that hymn, there is a line that gets me almost every time, and it says this, and it definitely got my attention this past Wednesday. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And the reality for me, and I imagine for most of us, if not all of us in this room, is that if we love Jesus, that there still is this propensity to turn away from Jesus, to turn to things that are appealing, that are tempting. And we can even get to a place where we look to those things to be the things that fulfill us, that satisfy us, that bring life to life. And in this passage, these two verses in all of Romans 5, what we see is Jesus is like, no, 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 none of that will fulfill you. It is only, it is only through Christ, it is only because of Christ that you, that I, can be justified. So, as, the, as this chapter continues, verses 1 through 11 highlight seven different blessings that come through justification. And so we're going to go through these. So um, if you're following in your Bibles, write on your tablet, your phone, whatever. We have verses up here if you're like, nah, I don't want to do that. Um, so jumping in, the first blessing is peace with God. Peace with God. We have peace with God through, because of, our Lord Jesus Christ. In the beginning, God created everything was good. It was perfect. Shalom existed. That is perfect peace. Peace with God. Peace with others. It was good. To put it a different way, it may mean unity. Perfect unity. That existed in Genesis 1 and 2. In Genesis 3, a few verses in, what we see is that sin enters. And what happens? Sin divides. It fractures. It breaks. It destroys. When I was in elementary school, I was racing a friend on our bikes, and we were bombing down this hill. And I had to stop really quickly because a car pulled out, and hitting a car isn't on the top of my list of things to do. And so I locked up the front tire and went flying through the air like Superman, which was cool until I hit the ground with my wrist and then my head and ground my face off on the cement. Um, but I, in doing that, I was like, ouch. And so I went to the doctor and the doctor said, no, you're good. You must have just bruised it. Well, what he didn't know is that I had fractured it. But then I lived for two weeks with a fractured wrist going through life as I would normally 
And man, it sent like shooting pain up my arm every so often, which came to a point when I pushed myself up on a fence, so full body weight on my wrist. I don't know if you've ever done that. Wouldn't recommend it. It was just like, and it hurt. And so I went back to the doctor and they're like, oh yeah, you fractured it. And the reality of having a fractured wrist is you can't use it the way you used to. You can't, it, it, it's not what it was intended to be. And there's a negative impact as a result. And when sin enters our life, our relationship with God is fractured and it is no longer what it was meant to be. And yet, because of Jesus Christ, because of Jesus Christ, wholeness, unity, peace is restored to our relationship with him. That is such good news. It is only through Christ that we can be justified. And peace is a blessing that comes from justification. The second is access to God. Access to God. Now, I didn't say this yet. If you're taking notes, filling in blanks, you're going to have to be on your toes, people, because I'm moving. I'm moving, okay? Um, access to God. P uh, first part of verse 2. Through whom, because of whom, we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Or now stand. Through whom we have gained access by faith. You see, we may be accustomed to having access to God, but once upon a time that wasn't the case. There was the temple, and a certain amount of people were entered or were welcome in the first, uh, in essence, room of the temple. And then only a certain fewer number of people were welcomed in the next room and the next room. And only the high priest was able to go into the Holy of Holies, into God's um, actual presence. Only one person at certain times of the year could do that. So there was separation. There was not free access. There was separation. And what we see is Jesus hangs on the cross, and he breathes his last. The veil in the temple was torn in two, which signifies, which represents that any and all, Jew or Gentile, male or free, slave or free, male or female, not male or free, um, any and all can come to God whenever they want based on whatever they need. Whether it's you are upset, you're angry, and you need to vent at God. He says, come on. Whether you are desperate for help and you can only muster the word help. Whether you, need to, you did something and you feel regret and remorse and you come to him and you say, God, I am so sorry. I don't know what I was doing. Any and all reasons, God says, you have free access to me. That is amazing amazing. It is only through Christ that we can be justified, and access is a blessing that comes from justification. Number three, beautiful hope. Beautiful hope. Second half of verse two says, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. I love this because it specifies where our hope comes from. And it is the glory of God. It is God's radiance. It's God's beauty. It's God's power. It's God's sovereignty. It's God's omniscience. It's God's omnipotence. It is God in his vastness that supplies our hope. That supplies, that supplies the hope that we need that is bigger than anything we can experience in this life. And it doesn't take long to look around and realize that we need hope. And our world desperately needs hope. It doesn't take long at all. 
Maybe it's in relationships. Maybe you're here sitting next to your spouse and there is an incredible tension between you. And neither of you want it to be this way, but man, it is really, really hard. There's hope. Maybe you're a son or a daughter and your relationship with your mom or your dad is not what you want it to be and you want it to change. You want it to be better. There is hope. Maybe it's that you've been looking for a job and you are trying, but man, you haven't found one yet and it is disheartening, discouraging, and super frustrating. There's hope. God's hope exceeds any and every life circumstance we can experience. Without hope, the light in our life fades to darkness. Yet because we are justified by faith, the light of life brings hope into our life to dispel the darkness. It is only through Christ that we can be justified. And beautiful hope is a blessing that comes from being justified. Number four, Christ-like like character. Christ-like character. This is a, the verses three and four are pretty well-known passages. If you've been in church for any amount of time, I'm sure you've read these on your own. Um, and likely in, in a, a part of a pain and suffering series. But it says this, they are so incredible. Not only so. But we also glory, we also rejoice in our sufferings, which is a little backwards when you think about it. Like, I don't normally, I'm like, yes, life is brutal today. All right. Maybe your reaction is that. It's not mine, as it turns out. But we rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. What this verse is saying, or these verses are, are saying is that character is developed when we experience difficulty, hardship, trial, suffering. That when we experience that and we refuse to give in, lay down, give up, but we lean in, that it leads us to hope. Why? Because as we lean in to the living God for what we need, when we lean in and we have access to God and we talk to God and we say, God, we need you to show up. And God, I am desperate and I know I can't do anything on my own to fix this problem. God, I need you. I am desperate for you. Something changes in our relationship with God. It is absolutely amazing. God says, when you humble yourself, I will lift you up in due time. When we lean in, it grows us in our relationship with God, our closeness, our intimacy. And that in and of itself is a tremendous blessing. But when we lean in, God says, there is hope. There is hope. And you will not be put to shame for putting your hope in me. Um, maybe Christ-like character for you right now means that you're investing in a friendship and it's incredibly difficult, or in a relationship with somebody in your family and it's really difficult, that you simply don't give up. Maybe it's that you have a friend or a family member that you are trying to intentionally share the love of Christ with and you've been doing this for years, you've been praying for them for years, and you are not seeing impact. And it's challenging and it's frustrating and it's trying. God says, lean into me and don't give up. Persevere. Maybe it's that you have a medical condition 
that is incredibly trying. And it leads you to question, is God good? And you're living with the reality of that illness, of that disease every day. And you go, what is this? Don't give up. Lean in. Continue to talk to God. Invite God into it. Persevere. Maybe it's you're in a relationship and you're wanting to maintain purity in that relationship, but man, it is hard because you think he or she is pretty cute. Awesome. Lean in and fight temptation. Remain pure. Make choices that honor God. Lean in. Lean in. And when we do, we find hope that is absolutely amazing. And when we do, we find this unity with Christ as we develop Christ-like character. Side note, one of the best, you know Cornwall Church is not about only coming here and gathering. This is an important part of what we do. But we want to go out and be Christ to our community. We want more and more people to come to know the good news of Jesus Christ. And the best way to be the good news is to have Christ-like character. Because it naturally flows from you, whether it's your words, whether it's your deeds, whether it's you serving, whether it's the way you parent, whether it's the way you're a coworker, whether it's you're a good neighbor. However it is, when you have Christ-like character, you can't help it because God comes out from within and people see that and they notice. That is one of the best things. You could just simply be you, but allow God to develop Christ-like character in you. Number five is God's love within. God's love within. Verses five through eight, these are really, really well-known uh, verses. In, in chapter five, it says this, and hope does not put us to shame. It does not embarrass us. When we put our hope in God, God comes through. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who he has given us. You see, at just the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Absolutely amazing. If you want a verse other than John 3.16 that encapsulates the gospel, boom, this is it. This is it. This is the good news. So what we see is this incredible train of activity here that, that starts with Jesus coming to this world, to Jesus seeing the need and being obedient and laying down his life, dying, being put in a tomb, rising from, raising from the dead on the third day, showing himself to his disciples. And his disciples are like, what? What? Like they were just really, really sad because they didn't know that he was going to come back to life like you and I know, right? Like we have the book. They didn't at the time. Um, and, and so they're beyond excited. And then a little while later, Jesus says, all right, it's time for me to go to God the Father back to ascend to heaven. And can you imagine? No, like what are you talking about? We just, like you just came back from the dead. That was so cool, by the way. Like stay here. They would be concerned. And he says, it is it's best for me to go because someone better will come. And you're like, huh? 
because the wonderful counselor will come. And so Jesus lives. He dies. He's put in a tomb. He conquers death. He raises from the dead. He ascends into heaven. The Holy Spirit of God comes, and the Holy Spirit of God dwells inside everyone who believes in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Everyone. And if you know God, God is love. John, 1 John 4 says that. God is love. So that means that love is dwelling within you. But for love to dwell within you, it's only because of Jesus and what he was willing to do that the love of God can live in us. And the love of God transforms us from the inside out. The love of God reminds us that we are lovely, that we are fought for, that we are worthy, that we have value. And he reminds us, that's not just the news for you, friend. That's the news that everybody on planet Earth needs desperately. And the love of God compels us to live differently as a result. So it's amazing that the love of God dwells within us, that the love of God is within us. Now, I have to pause here, just maybe out of pastoral duty. I don't know. This isn't totally related to the link I just gave you. Um, But I can't go past verse 8 without giving it a little bit more attention. Verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, pause. While we were still sinners, while we were still sinning, this is true for me, for my family, for my friends, for you, for the global church, that while we were in the very act of sinning, which when you think about it is us saying, God, we're not worthy, don't save us. In essence, in the very act of our sin, our lying, lusting, cheating, exaggerating, fearing, judging, gossiping, disrespecting, hating, hoarding, being greedy, selfish, idolatrous, turning a blind eye, murdering, abusing, terrorizing with our words or actions, getting drunk, doing drugs, etc., etc., etc. While we were in the very act, what does Jesus do? He dies. He dies for us. That is unbelievable. Jesus, the God-man, stepped in and took the beating we deserve, paid the debt we couldn't, so that we could, by his blood, through his blood, because of his blood shed on the cross, that we could be justified. He emptied himself of all his rights as the creator of everything, and allowed his creation to crucify him. Why? Because his love is that remarkable. So that he could save us. So that he could forgive us. So that he could justify us. He could say, yes, you are guilty of many, many sins. At least that's true of me. And because of what Jesus did, I can say you are legally free from the debt that you owe as a result. And if you hear that and you're like, okay, can we move on? Like I grew up knowing that. I've heard that my whole life. Will you please do me a favor? Spend this week every single day in this word and invite the living God to breathe new life into it. Because if this doesn't fire us up, as believers, if this doesn't bring life to your heart and your mind, if this doesn't inspire and evoke passion, something is not quite right. And I don't say that in judgment. I've been there myself. It's like, okay, like skim over that. Familiar. 
May we never take the gospel of Jesus Christ for granted. May we never suck the value and power and meaning out of the gospel. It is only through Christ that we can be justified. And having God's love within us is a blessing that comes from being justified. The sixth is salvation. Salvation from God's wrath. Salvation from God's wrath. Verses 9 and 10, chapter 5, say this. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through, our de- through the death of his son, the death of his son, excuse me, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? The word wrath for some of us makes us uncomfortable. And we can't reconcile this loving God who is so good and amazing with this God who apparently is also wrathful. Like, how does, how does that coexist? And when we think of wrath, I think of somebody like, kind of like with their hair on fire, their face is red, their veins are bulging, they're screaming, they're irrational and out of control and generally scary, and you're like, stay away, like, kids, don't look at him. Um, <laughs> don't know why it's always a him, but that's just what I see. Um, And so we think like, oh, wrath, and we transfer that image onto God, and that's simply not true. God's wrath is not that. God's wrath is justified. It is perfect. And let me just throw this out there. I think God's wrath is a great thing. I think it's a good thing. It's an important thing. Let me give you an example. Imperfect, but an example all the same. Um, I'm a dad. I'm a husband and a dad. Uh, My oldest is 10 to be 11 this fall. My second is 8. And they are uh, amazing. I've never seen myself lose control or have like wrath come out. Haven't seen it. But if you want to see that, come after my family. And we will both see a side I've never seen. (laughs) You know what I mean? But it's as a dad, it's because of my incredible love for my wife and my kids that you will see wrath pour out of me. And as a result, while it's an imperfect example, I think it's a pretty great one in that God's wrath is product of his love. It's only because of his love that he's wrathful, which I also think is a good thing because if God looked at this world and he saw the sin and and the evil in this world, he saw people's lives being taken, he saw terrorism, he saw assassinations, and he turned an indifferent eye to it, and he was like, nah, what? That doesn't, to me, communicate a God of love. And that is simply not who the Christian God is. Central to the God that we believe in is a God of love. And so when God sees sin and evil in this world, his response is wrath because he sees people bringing pain to his children or his yet-to-be children that he desires for them to come to know him. And the great irony is that it's his kids inflicting pain on others. It's his creation acting sinfully and negatively affecting others. And so wrath and love is balanced for both. Does that make sense? So I think God's wrath is a beautiful, a beautiful thing. Romans 5, 9. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him because of Jesus. What this tells me is that God's love exceeds his wrath. 
God's love exceeds his wrath because what this says, the promise is because of Jesus, when we have faith, when we believe, when we say, Jesus, you are my Lord and my Savior, we are no longer subjects of God's wrath. So his love exceeds his wrath. That's a beautiful thing. It's only through Christ that we can be justified and salvation from God's wrath comes from being justified. And the last of the seven blessings is reconciliation. Reconciliation. Verse 11. Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom, because of whom, we have received reconciliation. To be reconciled is to be or become restored to good standing with another. To be or become restored to good standing with another. A great example of this, um, Old Testament Joseph. Joseph is one of the youngest brothers. The older brothers hate him because his dad clearly favors him. They're jealous. They're envious. They really don't like him, so they put together a pretty evil plan. The short story is, is the third plan, fourth plan is we're going to sell him. So they sell him. They don't know where he goes, but they're figuring out he's just going to die, and that's okay with them. But what they don't know is that God's favor rests on Joseph. So Joseph ends up in Egypt, if you may be familiar with this story, and God causes him to rise in the political system, and he is like the second most powerful man in all of Egypt. God reveals to him that there's going to be seven years of famine, or seven years of plenty, and then seven years of famine, and what he needs to do to make sure that there's food sufficient for the seven years of famine, and Joseph does that. So Egypt has a bounty of food, and in this time, his brothers are destitute, and they are nearly um, um, starving. And so their dad says, go down to Egypt and ask, buy food from Egypt. And they come before Joseph, and Joseph knows them, but they don't know him because they think he's been dead for decades. And Joseph, in that moment, has an opportunity. He is in a prime position, a prime position to get revenge. He could kill all of them and not have a question raised. And instead, out of incredible love, he provides what they need. He provides food for them to go home, and he says, go back, get dad, get the family, come back. I'm going to give you land, and I will make sure that all your needs are taken care of so long as you're alive. They are reconciled. This family is reconciled. They're put in good standing with each other because one person acts in outrageous love. Sound familiar? We are like Joseph's brother, and Jesus is the perfect Joseph. He acts in outrageous love so that we can be restored to good standing with God the Father. Absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing. It is through Christ, it is only through Christ that we can be justified. And reconciliation is a blessing that comes from being justified. So again, through justification, we have seven blessings. Peace, access to God, hope, Christ-like character, God's love within, salvation from God's wrath, and reconciliation. And Paul, as he continues on in this chapter, I'm going to overview the rest um, 
from verses 12 through 19, Paul again reminds us of why we need to be justified. Paul regularly is like, oh yeah, 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 don't forget this guy named Jesus. He's pretty critical to the situation. And so he contrasts two different guys in these verses, 12 through 19. You can read it for yourself. He contrasts Adam and he contrasts Jesus. Adam, what he, this is the summary of Adam um, in, these pass, or in these verses. That Adam acted in disobedience. The result of disobedience was that sin came into the world, which led to condemnation and death for all. Not particularly good news, okay? This is, again, a reminder. We've already talked about this, right? But, or excuse me, Paul is going, I don't want them to forget. This is central. This is central. So Adam acts, but then Jesus. So Adam is kind of like, oh, no. And then Jesus comes in, and it's like up. From the grave we arose, right? Jesus acts once. He acts obediently. Obedience brings grace. Grace brings justification. And justification brings life for all who have faith in Jesus Christ, for all who put their hope in Jesus Christ. It is only through Christ that we can be justified. It is only only, only, only through Christ that we can be justified. Romans 5, 17 says this, For if by the trespass of the sin of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? What we know about God is that he is good. And Jesus will never force himself on anybody. And so... Paul is pointing out, you have to choose to receive. God is all that we've talked about him being. Jesus is all that we've talked about him being. There are these blessings that come from justification, but we have to choose to receive. And when we receive, we will reign in life. Now, what does that mean? Okay, here's an imperfect illustration again. Um, so Bellingham is where most of us live, greater Bellingham area. Um, over the last, like, seven months, it's been this, like, halo of cloud and rain, and we're trapped, right? Like, you just, most of us are like, okay, we're going to just stay indoors. So you're kind of trapped. That represents sin before Jesus, that we are trapped in our ways. We're under this cloud. But because of Jesus, because we're justified, because we are freed from our debt, he says, step out from under the cloud, step into the glorious sunshine, and start living for me to a greater degree, to the best of your ability. And that is the good news is we are free. We get to choose. We get to decide. Now, if you have been following Christ for any, any amount of time, you know that, yes, we want to step, and we want to step, and we want to step, and we love the sunshine, but it is not easy. In fact, sometimes it's more difficult. And sometimes we do the wrong thing. Sometimes we choose the wrong thing. Sometimes that's intentionally. Sometimes that's accidentally. But we still sin. And I love the way Paul wraps up chapter 5. Because it gives hope for us as we step out from being bound to sin into the freedom as we walk with Jesus Christ. Verses 21, or excuse me, 20 and 21. The law was added so that trespass might increase. Real quick, what that means is that the law was added so people would know when they were acting sinfully. It was to create awareness, so it would also create an awareness for our need for Jesus. But where sin increased, 
grace increased all the more so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through because of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the best news that we have ever heard, that we will ever hear. Let me be totally clear in case you didn't catch that. There will never, never, ever, 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 I sound like Dr. Seuss, there will never be better news than this. Never. This is it. This is the good news. This is the news that says, oops, I failed. And Satan's like, yeah, you suck. You're awful. You aren't, worth, you aren't worth God's attention. You aren't worth his love. You are a failure. Come on back this way. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. Where sin increased, grace increased all the more. My grace is sufficient for you. I am enough for you. Don't you dare look back. You keep stepping. You keep walking towards me. You keep claiming the truth that you have in the Bible. You keep claiming the promises and the blessings that we've talked about today because they are true. They are reliable. They bring what we need to our life as we need it. Jesus says, my grace is sufficient for you. Where sin increased, grace increased more. I want to close with a story. Um, this last February, I was in Hawaii, and we went to a beach called D.T. Fleming Beach. My brother-in-law, Connor, and I love playing in the waves together. This beach, historically, has been a great beach for body surfing. Um, it was a little bit bigger this day, meaning the breaks were a little bit larger. The waves were a little bit larger, if you're like, the breaks. Um, the waves were larger, and so we looked at it, and we decided, oh, no, we're good. We can go. We can handle this. We're, we're good swimmers. And so we go out, and... He got past the breakers. I didn't. And, <laughs> and it was just like, boom. <laughs> oh, no. Under the water, boom, 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 boom. Spin cycle. I don't know if you've ever been there, but it's like, boom, 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 boom. And you're hoping this ends soon. It's like, boom, 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 boom. And you're like, oh, no, I'm running out. My lungs are, boom, 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 boom. yeah. And you're there, and it's awful, and it's scary. And then you come up, and it's like, and then you're like, oh, no, boom, and you're wearing another wave. And then the whole thing repeats itself. But the longer you are in the situation, the more tired you get. And I grew up going to um, Hawaii because my grandparents lived there. And I've played in the ocean my whole life. And never had I been in a situation like this where I went, if something doesn't change quickly, this is going to end really poorly. Like, I was literally thinking, I could drown today. And my guess is, is that some of you in this room right now, you feel about like that. Like, life is just brutal right now. And it's breaker after breaker that's smashing you and putting you through the spin cycle, and you come up with enough time to <gasps> get air before the next one hits, and you're like, I don't know how much longer I can do that. I don't know. For some of you who are experiencing that, you have a relationship with Jesus. And I don't mean this to be, I don't know, cliche. We talked about Christ-like character. Where you are is difficult. I am not belittling that in the least. It is painful, it is scary, it is hard, it is unknown. 
but you have Christ in your life. Continue to press in to him. Continue to claim his promises as truth. Hold fast to those things. It is not easy. Jesus never said it would be. It is not easy, but continue to hold on to him. For others of you in this room, perhaps you're here for the first time, or maybe you've been coming regularly, but you don't believe in Jesus. I want to I want to ask you something. Let's say in that situation in Hawaii, let's say my wife saw that I was struggling and just wearing wave after wave. And she went and she got the lifeguard and the lifeguard got on their jet ski and zipped out to me. And I come up out of, you know, from getting the spin cycle and his hand's right there and he's like, grab on. In that moment, I have a decision to make. Am I going to accept his help? Or am I going to say, you know what, this is tough, but I got it. Because that's the decision. If you don't believe in Jesus, that's the decision that you get to make this morning. And maybe you're not in a place where you're like, I, have all, I, I don't have all the answers I need. I don't know that I can really trust this Jesus guy, so I'm not at a place to grab his hand. And that's okay. We're glad you're here, and we hope you keep coming back and keep exploring. But maybe today is that day for some of you. You're like, I can't do this anymore. I'm running out of oxygen. I'm running out of energy. I am just beaten up. And if that's you, and you're saying, man, I want help. I want God's help. Um, I want to lead you in a prayer. You don't have to pray out loud, but I want to lead you in a prayer, and then after that, I'm going to pray for all of us, okay? God, I need you. I thank you for bringing me here this morning so that I could hear about this incredible love that you freely give us, certainly not because we deserve it. And God, what I know is in my life, I am getting beaten up again and again, and it is brutal, it is hard, it is wearing on me, and I don't know how much longer I can go. And so, Lord, I simply want to say, help. I invite you into my life. I invite you into my life please help me. Please grow my understanding of you. Bring other people who believe in you into my life to help me grow in my understanding of you. But God, I thank you again for this morning, for getting to hear your truth through Romans 5. And God, I pray for all of us in this room. I pray that we would rejoice, that we would celebrate the God that we serve. It is only through, it is only because of Jesus Christ that our debt is, that we are freed from our debt. Lord, that is amazing, not even getting into the seven blessings that come along with our justification. God, help us to lean into you, to love you more, to praise you more. Open our eyes to your activity in our life and in our world. God, we need you. I love you, and I pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Hey, um, at this point, I want to share two hopes with you, both of which are totally out of my control, which is a little bit awkward. But um, the first hope is that God caused something, one thing, to stand out to you. Maybe it was a blessing. Maybe it was another truth through Romans 5. I'm not sure. But my hope is that one thing stood out to you. My second hope is that you would not just say, man, that was a good hope off to my day in the sun, <laughs> which I hope you do go out in the sun, by the way, um, but that it would be, I'm going to live with that hope this week.
I'm going to lean into that hope. I'm going to talk to God about that hope. I'm going I'm to ask God, why did you cause that thing, that, that truth to stand out to me? Why did I need to hear that? Why do I need to hear that? What's that about? And if it's a word like hope or peace that perhaps you can look it up in the back of the Bible in your concordance and seek out other verses and what they say about hope because God wants to speak truth into our lives. He wants to remind us of who he is and the promises that we have and that we can cling to in him. So my hope is one thing stood out. My hope is is that you'll live with that one thing this week. If you accepted Jesus Christ for the first time today at guest services, which is on your left on the way out, we have a new believer packet that we would love for you to pick up. Um, For the rest of you, thank you so much for being here. If you would like prayer, we will have a prayer team down in front. You are out of here and now free to go and enjoy the beautiful sunshine.